Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. How are you doing? Oh, I'm as good as can be expected. How about you, Catherine? It has been a week. It has been a week. We are recording this on June 4th, so everybody, we don't need to go into what's going on in the world because everybody knows unless they've been living on an island somewhere. Under a rock. Yeah. Yep, for sure. So, Uh, But you are back in Patagonia. I am. Uh, We're down here kind of wrapping up some of the last of the um, projects on the houses down here and it's looking good. It's been nice to have a place to um, do a little bit of, you know, spend your creative energy and take your mind off of some of the stuff that's going on. Um, Not that, you know, that you should be taking your mind off of it, but at the same time, you know, finding some space to give yourself uh, a reprieve is, has been helpful for me anyway. For sure. How about you? What do you have going on? Uh, Well, I'm in Atlanta. So if you've uh, paid a lot of attention, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, there's a lot that she has been, um, she's been speaking a lot. She's had a lot of great things to say, in my opinion. I actually went with a a friend of mine to the protests on um, Tuesday night. And that was really good. We we actually rode our bikes down. I'm only about three miles from downtown Atlanta. So we rode our bikes down, and um, he is a black man. He, he's married to a white woman. She, the wife came, and then, like, their neighbor came. And we just had some really good conversations. You know, like, he um, we had some conversations about what his experience is like right now and just how he's using his influence. He's a really... Um, well-known attorney in the community but um, my favorite conversation I say favorite but was with his wife I was just like how is your son doing they have a 14 year old son and that was was very eye-opening for me where she was talking a lot about like yeah you know he um, we've had to have conversations with him about like you can't go toilet paper people's houses with your friends and do these things because even though you are half white, you are still going to be perceived as you are still a black man in people's right. eyes. And then just talking about some of the fear that their daughter is experiencing, like afraid that her dad, something's going to happen to her dad. So, so I was pretty low until I went there. And then I realized like having really good conversations with people might be a really great first step for, for a lot of people. So, um, so that was, you know, 
I've had a lot of good conversations with friends over the years, but it was just good to kind of re-engage and have that conversation. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's definitely, um, it's definitely troublesome right now, I think. Um, so I'm just, I'm hoping that we really learn some valuable lessons from this and can come out of this on the other side, um, in, in a much better position for sure. So. Yeah, I think if I had any encouragement for folks that listen to our podcast, cycling is a great way to listen to people. We'll talk about this kind of at the end of our interview today. It's a great place to have conversations and to really listen. And one thing I've learned a lot over the years is to shut up and listen. (laughs) And so, you know, and that's a really good point. I mean, it is. The bike is a great place. And, you know, we really in in the gravel scene, um, I'm I want people to come and be included. I want, I want them at, you know, group rides at start lines, whatever makes, makes you feel comfortable. Um, and we can, it's a great place to talk for sure. And we are, at least I, I run our, our social media. Uh, I am always open to having conversations with people on how we can do that better. I would prefer conversations and not people telling me what to do, but conversations. Um, I've gotten a lot of advice this week from a lot of white people. Um, I would love to have some really good conversations with people. Uh, I always love those. So and it's, it's just like everything. I think we need to go into this with patience and grace. Um, I mean, we're already on the edge like COVID-19 is still very, very much a part of what's going on. So I think everybody's afraid for sure. Um, and so I think, I think the best thing we can do is, is listen and, and give, give your neighbor, give your friend, give your new acquaintance, whatever the space and the grace to go through what they're experiencing and, and figure out what, how they're going to process through this and not just continually coming at people. It's, it's difficult, I think, but, but that to me is what I'm trying to do is to just continue to make sure I have some patience and some grace with all of this. Yeah. And we, I mean, I think both of us get that as white women, we have a level of privilege in this. Um, and also that's a lot of what the gravel community is. Well, not white women, but white people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like just make friends and have conversations and, uh, I'm reading some great books. Feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to hear yeah. a little bit more about those books. Um, but speaking of great conversations, I was really good at transitions today on the podcast. <laughs> I was not good at... Let us know when you were getting ready to transition. I was not good at transitions on the podcast today. <laughs> You'll hear it. But we have another friend of yours on the podcast today, and she has quite a number of accolades to her name. Uh, do you want to tell us about today's guest? Well, uh, we've got Amanda Nauman, so... Um, Amanda Panda Nauman, um, she's just uh, become a shining light, I think, in the gravel scene and in working to get more women um, on bikes and using her experience to, and her, her experience and her, and just her preparation, like every she's just really has grown into being a great mentor in the space. So it's exciting to talk to her and, and hoping that, um, anybody out there can really glean something from this conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed meeting her. Um, the conversation does get a little heavy. We get into kind of how she's been experiencing, uh, what's going on. She is half Asian. Um, but don't worry, we end up with a conversation about an adopted dog. Yep. So, so so we will go on to our conversation with Amanda Nauman. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, and we are really excited to have Amanda Nauman on the show today. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. And I'm here in Atlanta. Christy's in Patagonia again. Yep, I'm back down in Patagonia. Where are you, Amanda? I don't even know where you live. (laughs) Um, I'm in Southern California, Orange County specifically. Oh, wow. Wow. How are things down in Orange County? Good, hectic. Um, Yeah, it's starting to warm up. So, I mean, the average temperature on my ride yesterday was 86, and I was not prepared for that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's nice out. I can't complain. 
Is it easy to get to gravel from where you are, or do you ride more roads? Oh, no. it's There's no, like, traditional gravel around me at all. It's more fire road, um, that kind of style of, you know, dirt, I guess you would call it. Uh, but, yeah, it, t- it would take a while, a few-hour drive to get to, like, actual gravel around here. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I know you are another one of Christy's friends. We joke because it's always Christy's friends on the podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but I, I know a little about your story. I know that you have won some pretty big events and you produce your own event and do a lot of cool things and have your own podcast. But why don't you just go ahead and tell people that may not be familiar with you a little bit more about you to start out? Yeah, uh, no problem. I was basically a swimmer my whole life growing up. I started at like six and age group swimming was my life all the way through high school. And then, um, I got a scholarship to swim. And so I swam all four years of college as well. And partway through that, uh, swimming in college, I started getting sick of it because I was a distance swimmer and you're basically doing the worst workouts out of everyone. Um, and I had a boyfriend at the time that was doing triathlons and he was like, you should get a bike and let's do this triathlon thing. And there was a collegiate cycling conference where I went to school. So it was a a different outlet for me to put that same work ethic that I was doing with swimming into something else. And ultimately that saved my swimming career because I ended up wanting to swim and finish all four years. Um, but getting the bike was what led me to do all the stuff that I I do now, essentially. And my dad was riding at the time, so it was something we could do together. And then I discovered I hated running, so I enjoyed the bike part a lot more. Um, And yeah, as I started doing more triathlons, I found out that I was actually pretty good at that section of the event and uh, started doing more of it and fell in love with just going hard on the bike, I guess. I was just going to ask you what your least favorite discipline in the triathlon was, but I guess you (laughs) you answered that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, you need a swim bike event. You would dominate. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Huh? No. Do you still run at all or no? Oh, for cross, yeah. Um, but it's because I have to, not because I want to. <laughs> so you sense. you race cross and you ride gravel. Is that that's yeah. correct? Yes. Awesome. Um, well then tell us a little bit more about some of these other things. So you have a podcast, you have an event. How did all these things come about? Uh, yeah, it's, that was just, I guess the evolution of me going from racing bikes to working in the bike industry. Um, it was my first job at felt that got me into racing cross. Cause I met all these other friends and these coworkers who were racing cross and, decided like, Hey, this was something that looked fun. And, you know, you just go around in a park a bunch of times at a, at a local area and hang out and party afterwards. So it sounded like a fun time. Um, but doing all that was what got me into racing everything on the dirt, like mountain bikes came and then cross and, um, ultimately signing up for some of these really long gravel events before they were called gravel events in California. They were just really long cross races. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's how that all happened. And then as I found success in all those areas, I guess more of all this like event promotion and media stuff surrounding those things really only came about in the past year and a half or so, I would say. Um, besides that, it was mostly just focused on being a bike racer. And I think all these other projects uh, kind of came in the last yeah year and a half or so. And how are you balancing all of that? Because I've, you know, have watched the trajectory of your of your career kind of evolve in the gravel space. Um, and you know, obviously training is going to take up a ton of your time, but, but, um, doing podcasts and then obviously you guys launched your event mammoth tough this year too, which COVID-19 that's interesting in and of itself, but how are you managing all that? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) This is the easy answer. Um, yeah, I definitely am juggling a lot of things and a lot of times it does feel like I'm stretched really thin because it's not just focused on being a bike racer. Uh, but I think that also came with the realization that sponsors and these companies that I work with don't care about you just being a bike racer. Um, and that was something I learned over the past few years of working with these companies that, 
kind of essentially got to the point where they're like, we don't care if you win this or not. Like, that's not the point of, of us wanting to believe in you and put money, money towards you. It's more the whole story that you're trying to tell and just you as Amanda instead of you as a bike racer. And I think realizing that was what kind of put me down these other paths of like, yeah, I am more valuable in these other areas, just being a woman and, and sharing these stories in other areas and kind of contributing to the discipline instead of just being mm-hmm. a part of it. Oh, you do. I mean, I think you, that's one thing that you've transitioned into so well is, is, is being a voice and a leader in the space. Um, it's been awesome to watch. And I think it's been, you know, having you come, you've done two or three DK camps. How many have you done? Two, I think. Yeah. This yeah. would have been three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just watching your influence in the space has been awesome to see you kind of graduate into that, into those roles. So it's good to see that sponsors are realizing that as well. I think in the industry for sure. Um, I have a strange question cause I don't know the answer to this, but, um, you're known as Amanda Panda. Yeah. Where did Panda? <laughs> uh, so when I was in high school on the swim team, um, my best friend is half Mexican and I'm half Asian and she just said it one day and it kind of stuck. I mean, it rhymes and, uh, yeah. That it just kind of that's how it started wasn't any other reason other than she just thought it sounded cool <laughs> and now you've got socks and everything. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it carried over to like every swim team water polo team after that and it just kind of stuck so <laughs> that's fun I would love to hear more about Mammoth Tough. Uh, where where you all in the process of that for 2020? And how did that, well, tell us how the event came about and kind of what your dream for it is and then kind of where you are right now because everybody's still, I think, up in the air. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, Mammoth was, is, I guess, a place that has always meant a lot to me and David. Um, growing up in Southern California, in Orange County specifically, Mammoth is like the second farthest mountain away. So a lot of people go to Big Bear um, with for family vacation stuff or Mammoth. Those are like kind of the two places. And as both of us were growing up, we were going there separately. And then and we met and go, started going there together. And it's just a place that always meant a lot to us. And it was also a place that we would go for training before Dirty Cans every year. And as we started to meet more people up there, the locals uh, would take us on these really long rides. And I think it was probably three or four years ago that after one of those long adventures, we looked at each other and we were like, this place is amazing. And we either one, keep it a secret or two, share it with everyone. And that was, I think, one of that one specific ride where we came home afterwards and we were like, we want to bring all of our friends here. So that's how the evolution of that came about was we kind of just discovered that there were such beautiful roads out there that reminded us of the Midwest. And I think California gravel has such different variables in it that are different than Nebraska or Kansas or Oklahoma. And it doesn't really look the same, but in that area of mammoth, the roads around it and in the valley surrounding it, there are those wide open roads that reminded us of Kansas and Oklahoma. So we were really excited to find that. And we kind of just got to a point where we were like, okay, we, we think we can do something here that would be worthy enough to ask everybody to, to come out to such a remote location. <laughs> and, and this was supposed to be the first year. Yeah. This is the first year. Yeah. Yeah. What's the date? September. Uh, September 19th, 2020, hopefully, weekend after Dury, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Mammoth, to me, when I hear that, I think there's going to be some giant hills. Is that the case? <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Not hills. <laughs> <That's> I, <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks of, I mean, Mammoth is known for its mountain biking. It's known for the skiing and the snowboarding. And so everybody immediately thinks like, oh, it's going to be like a lost and found or a crusher. But the nice thing is it, we're more in the valley. So, yeah, we're going to start in Mammoth, but everything um, kind of we're gonna, going to a lower elevation. So we're never climbing higher than where you're starting. Uh, so it's not too bad. So the, the start's like around 8,000 feet, um, but it's mostly in this valley. So you get all the mountainous views without like being in the mountains too much. <laughs> 
That's so cool. What are some things that you, hopefully when you get to have it this year, that you want to make unique or true about the event besides the cool scenery? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think David and I have been to so many different events across the country and that community feel was always the, the main reason why we went around to all these different places. And so we wanted to be able to deliver that part of it um, in this event and, and emphasize, you know, the party afterwards and, and the award ceremony the next day, having it be this place where everybody can come and share stories. And because that's something that we really wanted to focus on and be able to share with everybody, that's the part we're struggling with right now and potentially not being able to do that mm -hmm. um, in September. And so that's why we're on the fence with the event as it is, because David has this idea of wanting to be able to share this with his friends. And it's a struggle to think that we're, we might just be asking people to show up and ride. And like, is that really what we wanted? So, um, yeah, that's, that's the hardest part is like community was the main focus and like to be, to take that away is why we're struggling with September. Yep. That's a hundred percent of what I think is the biggest issue is that these events yeah. are about community and, taking that piece away. It just feels weird. You keep yeah. mentioning David. Who's David? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, I, he's just kind of like my third arm. <laughs> um, yeah. So David Sheik, uh, he's the other part of this equation. Um, he was the guy who signed me up for my first cross race. He was the one who came home from dirty cans in 2014 and told me that, I should go and I could probably win Dirty Kanza. So he's been a big motivating part of my life. And um, yeah, Dave Sheik. <laughs> yeah. And he knew, I mean, he was right. Yeah, he was. He came and won in 2015. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, since you've talked a lot about Cross, I have a question about Cross because people that love Cross, like, love Cross. Like, why do people love oh, cross yeah. so much? <laughs> like, I feel like the only reason I haven't already seen 5,000 social media posts that cross is coming because is just because nobody knows if cross is coming this year. <laughs> oh, God, that's uh, that's so funny. And it did. Yeah, it is such a weird question because we are the people who are in it. You just become like obsessed with it. There's no middle ground. You either love it or you hate it. And I almost think sometimes part of it is like this own self justification and this crazy thing that you're doing. Like you have to be overly in love with it or else you're just some wacko doing circles in a park. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's a good community. It's a different community for sure. Uh, but I do see a lot of crossover in cyclocross and gravel and the people that are in it. So I tried cross this past year. Yeah. Not a cross racer. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up, I'll just say that my saddle was sideways and I never started the race. Oh no. <laughs> so I, I never understood the, the deep love that people had. It. But to me, it's like the cross people in the cycling community are almost like the crossfitters of fitness. <laughs> Oh, that's fu that is funny to hear that from an outside perspective. I never thought of it that way, but I can definitely see that. <laughs> I just, I can't, I am not talented enough. Like, I don't want to say that I'm, I used to say that I'm not an athlete, but pe people would like kind of raise a stink when I would say that. And I'm like, well, okay, then I'm not athletic. Like there's, I can do things in a straight line. <laughs> But if you're asking me to like jump off my bike or any of those sorts of things, like it's, it's, a, it's something to behold. You should definitely have a video camera behind me. And because I'm sure that that just looks horrible and hilarious at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. I have so much admiration. I love watching cross races. It's so fun. And honestly, probably because of you, Amanda, I like, you know, I'm like, your level of and commitment to cross racing and and I know you've had some injuries in that space in the last couple of years but it's been it's like it's cool it's rad that you you girls are tough <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, like, yeah, I want, I do want people who are intimidated of it or feel like it's, it's too over their head to try it, though, because I would say the same thing about gravel. Like, to other people, gravel is very intimidating, you know, but um, cross is, is as hard as you want to make it, really, which is the same thing for gravel. I think a lot of times people get it in their head that cross is still very much this like racy thing and everybody's so cutthroat. And, you know, when you first get into it, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it, you can just see if you like going around in circles and finding different places to, to make up a few seconds here and there. Um, cross is very much more of a find out how you can make up ground in a short area And it's more about cornering and letting off the brakes here and there. So there's more of like a little finesse to it. Whereas with gravel, it's more just point and shoot. So with cross, people find the enjoyment of like looking for places where they can make up time. You know, it's different Mm. than racing somebody head to head. And, you know, that person may be stronger here in this corner. And like you can be faster by not pedaling harder. You know, there's things like that in cross that are different from uh, just going super hard in a gravel race. <laughs> I think it all sounds like something that caters to the way your brain works. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, it's like a problem to solve, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. Like that's that starts getting into the space where I'm like, yeah, that's that's too much thinking. <laughs> I've noticed that when I've watched well when I when my saddle ended up sideways and I ended up just watching the race I was like there's a lot of strategy to this Mm -hmm. um but anyway it was it was it was not my thing um (laughs) (laughs) but um people uh or one of the things that Christy had mentioned when we were getting ready to have you on is on the strategy side that you are really good about thinking about um, race day strategy and how to prepare coming in. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that. And Christy, you might have specific questions around that because you've watched Amanda race. Well, I just, I was really impressed. Um, Amanda participated with Kurt Shulman leading one of our sessions at the DK virtual camp this year. And I mean, I've always thought of Amanda as a meticulous person, but um and coming from the other end of the spectrum. Um, it was, it was super interesting to hear your, you know, how you get ready for races and, and tips that you can give to beginners that are coming into the space where even if they don't do like everything, how to be, how to be ready for your first event. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I didn't really realize it was something that I hadn't talked about a lot in, in the gravel realm And I think the reason is because a lot of it stemmed from all the mistakes I made in the early days of going to cross races, because the thing about cross is you have a start time and, and there's like different windows where you can get on the course and warm up and everything is very rigid and structured based on a schedule. And so because of that, you know, in the early days I would show up to races, not having looked at the schedule, you know, maybe not packing lunch, making all these mistakes. At the end of the day, I had a crappy race because I didn't see when I was supposed to be on course to warm up and do all this stuff. So I learned that the hard way and even at some points wasting money going to the Midwest to go to some of these races and not doing those things. So carrying that over, you know, I eventually got a notebook and started paying more attention to all these things that I realized I was not in the in the early days. And as I would pay attention into more stuff and realize that nutrition and hydration and um, a proper warm-up were all these pieces to the puzzle that were going to make me successful whenever it did come time to race. And so I started doing that with cross, like I said, and then I had to start doing it with gravel and it just started making sense for these longer uh, races to invest that same time and energy in, in the homework for those longer ones as well. Um, cause in the, in the early days of doing these long cross races, like there was, it was mostly for training. So I would just show up with a bunch of food, kind of have an idea of how many bottles I wanted to drink, but not really have a firm plan. Um, and then a couple times down the road, as soon as I start writing out a plan and just following it and not having to think too much, that was where I found the most success. So, um, yeah, I guess it's it's something that I've wanted to share with a lot of people, mostly the juniors that I work with for the 
talent ID camps with USA Cycling for cross, it's like the main thing I focus with kids because what I tell them is like, your parents are spending all this money for you to go to these races. They're investing their time in you. And at that age, a lot of times kids don't think about that stuff and they'll just race and think that the only job that they have to do is to go hard. Um, and so I make them, you know, take out a notebook and write down all their plans and what they're going to do and communicate it to their parents so that they know. And after, and after doing that at one of the camps I was with, I was like, David, we got to tell adults to do this stuff too. Cause, cause they're spending their own money to go to these longer events and not doing that same homework that I was trying to tell these kids that they needed to do. Um, so yeah, that was the main part that I wanted to communicate in that shammy butter talk was like, Hey, you're spending all this money to go do this stuff. Here's an example of how I take care of all this homework. And, and I think you should too. And that's, I mean, you need to do an Amanda Panda notebook then. Like, I, I thought about it. Yeah, I've looked into it and it's like the, the freaking notebooks and like printing stuff like that is really expensive. So I haven't, I haven't jumped in there yet. Reach <laughs> out to a, a Mordecai bookmaking out of Minneapolis. He does a little, I bet he, you know, he does kind of those field note type things. I bet he would okay. work with you on that. Yeah. Toby Dupont. Yeah. But yeah. That'd be, yeah. I would probably one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, simple it seems, but you don't think about it until uh, you kind of do it for the first couple times. And, like, one example is when we signed Drew Dillman to the team uh, a couple years ago. We brought him to Mid-South in 2019 for, that was, like, his first big gravel event. Um, and the night before I told him, I was like, Drew, what's your plan? And he was like, oh, you know, I just like have food and I'm going to go, go for it. And I'm like, no, I need you to sit down here at this desk. I need you to tell me what you're going to eat for those five and a half hours or however long you think it's going to take. And, you know, he wrote it out and I was like, okay, in your left pocket, you're going to put the first two and a half hours in your middle pocket here and then your right pocket here. And you need to just finish that for the race. And at the end of it, uh, like I crossed the line and he told me he got third and then, you know, a couple hours later, he's like, Amanda, what you told me to do with the like nutrition, hydration, I didn't have to think at all, and worry about it. And that was what allowed me to focus on the race. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> I don't think people understand once you get into longer endurance events, how important your nutrition and hydration is and how easily you can screw everything up. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that the screw up part is what I tell people is so important. I, like yeah. I want you to mess up. And that's why. I tell people to get a notebook because even in like going for long training rides, you should write this stuff down because stuff isn't going to work. And you're also going to forget what doesn't work. And if you don't record it, you're going to make the same mistake again. Cause I've done that. <laughs> so, yeah, I know I just had, uh, we've been doing the DIY DK and I picked up a product that I used to use a ton in triathlon at the store. And I was like, I don't remember why I stopped using this product. Yeah. I remembered why I stopped using that product yeah. um, about halfway through our ride on Saturday. I was like, oh, yeah, now I remember. I really have to water this down to use it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I and I get that question all the time. What do you eat? What do you drink? And I never want to tell people. And I want to tell people you need to do what works for you. And you need right. to spend eight weekends writing it down and figuring it out. Because what I do doesn't matter. It should be what you think you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part of my problem is I think I have a, a gut of iron, so I can pretty much put anything in there, which, you know, lends me to not be as prepared as I probably should be. Cause I'm like, I can, I can just do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's changing a little bit as I'm getting older. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, I think, I think all of those are good tips and I'm pretty sure that that was a Facebook I think that was recorded on Facebook. So if you're really wanting to hear, yeah. I mean, I kind of go into all of that. Um, it was really informative for me and I've been riding gravel in like this style of gravel for 17 years, 18 years now. Um, so to learn something about that, I was like, man, I'm, I need to rewind and go back and do some of these races again. <laughs> I've been doing yeah. Well, I, I've also found like if I get my nutrition right or closer in training, I actually feel better. Like you don't have that feeling after, even if you're just going out for long rides, even if you don't care about racing, yeah. like you can really feel like crap the rest of the day or the next day if you get it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, I just can't do the long stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it does have to do with nutrition. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, speaking of stuff, that was a horrible transition. Speaking of stuff, you've been doing some cool stuff, though, with the virtual challenges. Uh, you did a May challenge, and now you're into a June challenge. And so what, where did those come from? Kind of what are you doing? Can people still join? This will come out, you know, a little more mid-June. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, sure. Um, so the genesis of it was essentially in February before anything happened with COVID or anything. We did this long ride um, and we, we used this trail that kind of runs through the center of Orange County and realized that you could go from the beach to like the top of this mountain in 18 miles and never have to cross a car or hit a stoplight which where I live is like a miracle <laughs> so we did this long ride and at the end of it I was like man we should do some sort of originally the idea was to do like a TT or something locally and like you know have all these people come together and do like a gravel time trial uh, because we wouldn't have to stop for any cars or anything and it sounded like a cool idea but it was just an idea essentially. And then fast forward two months and all this stuff happens and it's mid April. We go and ride on this trail and I was like, David, we should do something like this, but for, and how can we include it? Everyone, obviously we weren't going to be able to do something in person. And then that's when, you know, I was talking to Christy about what are these virtual things that we could possibly do. And DK camp was happening around that same time. And, the, the conversation about doing these virtual things and doing them locally was starting to emerge. And I was like, we should just do this and give everybody the idea to do it in their own backyards. But something similar um, that basically the birth of it was I found this cool trail and I want you guys to go find cool trails around you too, because we're all stuck at home. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was how that started. We kicked it off like a couple days after Cinco de Mayo. So I called it the Grava de Mayo and yeah, I, it was just a fun idea. We had about 50 people submit, uh, rides that they did. And I had them all submit emails with like the link to their Strava activity. And every single person messaged me saying, thanks for doing this because I went out and found roads that I didn't even know were there. And I was like, yes, perfect. That's exactly why I wanted to do this is because there's so much cool stuff at home and we travel all these long distances to go to these events which are great but sometimes we forget like exactly what's in our backyard so um yeah that was the birth of it and then as as may was coming to a close i was like well we got to do something for june (laughs) um so the guys at orange mud had sent me an email saying hey we're gonna do this thing for the month of june um and we want your team to be involved and i was like perfect let's do that i'm in as long as you give everybody that signs up with my code free socks so we did the same thing that we did in May. We're going to do in June that if you sign up for this Orange Mud um, event, either 50, 100, or 200 miles, and you use the code Panda Tough, then along with all the other cool Orange Mud and uh, Seven Clay product that you get by registering, you get a free pair of socks too to kind of put my own spin on it. Wait, can you still sign up for this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can still do the June. I saw Christy sign up. Yeah. No, power socks work. Yeah, I hope a lot for a pair of socks. I, I've worn my Panda Power socks on rides where I'm like, man, I'm just not sure I want to do this. And like, I've got the ones with a little lightning bolt on them. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just look down and be like, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> uh, dorky. So dorky what can, can kind of motivate me to keep going at times. But if it works, mm-hmm. Lord knows this isn't because I plan my nutrition well enough. <laughs> <laughs> Christy's like, I got a donut in here. No, I don't do donuts. <laughs> I like chips. Like, that's me. So do you have a July one planned now? I don't know. I haven't thought that far yet. My birthday's in July, so I'm, I'm thinking of something. Oh, birthday yeah. challenge. Yeah. How old are you going to be? 31. Oh, my God. <laughs> Young. <laughs> Oh, I'm 30. I'm old. Are you kidding? Christy just gave us some uh, stuff we would have to bleep out of the podcast. Yeah. So, I, I, was I, video. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, 
31 sounds amazing right now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's like all these um, virtual events and things that are happening are, I think, necessary right now because events are so in limbo and we don't know what's going to happen in the fall, really. Um, so it's been fun to have these different challenges. I, there's no way, and I have zero desire to do the Everstein thing. <laughs> so it's been fun to like try and find other ideas other than like going up the same climb over and over. Cause I just have zero desire to do that, but I want people to do things that they want to do, you know? So how, how do we get people out and doing that kind of stuff? It's yeah, it's cool to see all the different creative ideas that have come from being stuck right now. <laughs> yep. I think it's a, and it's a cool way that we're still kind of connecting as community and continuing to build community and maybe even bringing in some people that wouldn't have been at an event like because they don't feel as intimidated because uh, they yeah. can participate yeah. in, a, in a virtual in a virtual way but yeah hmm. it's interesting times for sure wow. yeah <laughs> well uh, okay I got a better transition this time <laughs> Speaking of interesting yeah. times yeah <laughs> So yes. we are recording this on June 4th and obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I had asked you beforehand, um, Amanda, if you wanted to have a, kind of have some commentary on the platform, just kind of what your thoughts are and what are going on. Um, yeah, you are half Asian and so you would identify as non-white um, is what you said. And I just, you know, Obviously, we don't put everything on you, but I would just love to hear your perspective. Yeah, yeah, world right no now. problem. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a time that I think the best thing that's coming out of it is people are just thinking and reading more. Honestly, um, like full disclosure, my dad was a cop, and so I grew up with him being a cop, and he was doing that when my brother was really young. Um, and then he flew helicopters for like Riverside County Sheriff's department. His, his goal was always to be a pilot, which he ended up doing down the road. Um, but yeah, so I've always grown up in this household of, you know, that, that being part of my life and all the fact that my dad's white, my mom's Asian, I'm not completely white. And so there's always been dealing with the stuff that my mom's had to go through growing up. And so my perspective on things has always been, so different but so different in a way that I just never wanted to say anything or like feel like I had to tell a story about it or impose any ideas on anybody else um but like I said I think the biggest thing to come out of this is me just doing more reading and more learning about issues and things that are going on like for example um a couple days ago when blackout tuesday happened I was like I'm just going to do some reading on stuff that happened when like the Chinese were trying to come and like that immigration act was passed in 1965. And so just different things, but my own spin on it to just learn more about, you know, the, the struggles that people who looked more like me had to go through, you know, different than, than everything that's happening in the world and black lives matter and everything, but, but something that was also important to me. And I think that um, whatever you want to take away from this it's just important that you do your own research and read the things that you want to and, and, and just be more educated about it, I guess. I think that's really insightful, being more educated and, and, and even being really willing to listen. Um, yeah, yeah, keep. for sure. Yeah, and it's like, like we this is something that is affecting all of us and uh, it's obviously an important topic and like I said, I do think that the best thing that has come out of it is people just taking a second to think twice, you know, about all the stuff that's happened, where they have seen systemic, like, racism and all those biases happen in the past, and it's for sure happened, and that's the thing, is everybody can look back and think of examples growing up, or, like, when we were in high school and kids would say things, like, it's just always been there, and now every time it bubbles to the surface, it forces all of us to say, like, okay, yeah, this isn't all right. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I've been doing a lot of reading this week. Um, Brene Brown had a really good podcast. um, And then I've been doing a lot of reading and just following some different things. And so much of it's, they're not easy fixes. If they were easy fixes, they would have gotten fixed 22 years ago with Rodney King. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of systems that need to be changed. And I think like, like if you listen to some of the 
people like I'm in Atlanta, so Killer Mike spoke um, the night that the protests went really um, got pretty violent in Atlanta. And, you know, he was like, now is the time. to." St-. He said it, he said it very eloquently. Maybe I'll link it in the notes. But he, one of the things he said is now is the time to strategize, you know, and basically like I've been through this before. We've got to have a strategy. We've got to have a plan. We've got to address the systems. We've got to address the policies. So. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Like taking some time to understand is really important. And I love that you're kind of looking <laughs> at your culture because so many cultures, you know, have been marginalized in our country, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And it's, yeah, and there's, there's so much stuff that I didn't know about pre-1960s um, that, you know, has just been really insightful. And, and the best part is just kind of learning about more of it and, and I think maybe that's probably one of the things that we could benefit from the most, especially my age and younger, is where the, the realm that we have grown up in hasn't seen all the struggles that had to go on pre-1960s, like when my dad was really little and even before that. And all those stories and stuff, it's really just to go back and look on it and think, like, how far we have come, yes, but how far, like, we still have to go, because <laughs> a lot of it's still the yeah. same. That's true. Sometimes I look at it and I feel like we just, we're just not learning our lessons. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think we are, but it just, we're so damn slow at it. Yeah. 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 We are. And so it's just, it's mind numbing to me. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I I want to, I want to try to end this on a positive note because it seems like it's, you know, I look at it with between COVID-19 and, and the protests that are going on out there. I feel like the world's on fire on some levels. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully that this is a time where something really, truly, we see a big movement forward and we see some big steps forward um, yeah. for, for humanity would be yeah. so amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel hopeful. I mean, maybe that's naivety, but I do feel hopeful. Like I was at the protests in Atlanta um, and there was so much um, people were kind of giving out water and there's a lot that there are some bad things that have happened, but there's so much good happening at the protests and so many people wanting to come together and listening to each other's stories. And that's one of the things that I actually really love about writing. And as we're starting to be able to ride with friends again, I guess I would encourage our community to just be brave and have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Writing is a great place to have it. <laughs> and just yeah. let's ask people their perspective, their background and listen. And I think that's a really great way that we as a community can, can really engage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And bringing that all back to the bike, it's like, we have the ability to be way more inclusive in the bike industry as a whole. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do moving forward. And a lot of stuff has happened that has made me think even yesterday I was on the bike and I was like, I don't know if I can name like 10 Asian American cyclists. Like that was just a thought I had. And I was like, why is that? <laughs> and, you know, then I go down this rabbit hole of thinking, like, why are people doing more about this? Or, like, what can I do about it? And I think that's the point of all of this happening is I should be thinking those things. So yeah. that yeah. that's the positive that's going to come from all this is we're, we're just thinking about it and having those conversations. Well said. Um, well, to end on a positive note, you adopted a quarantine dog, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I've been obsessively following you on Twitter and commenting yeah. on your posts. <laughs> Tell us oh, about your yes. dog. <laughs> yeah, Walter. Um, so I've always wanted a dog. <laughs> I've always wanted a dog, but because of traveling and everything, I never had a few months to dedicate to like training a dog and making sure that he or she was going to be well-trained because it would most likely be my parents that are going to be taking care of it when I'm traveling. Um, and so as soon as it was like three days after I came back from Mid-South and I saw my calendar just like disappearing for three months, I was like, David, we're getting a dog. <laughs> right <now. laughs> so yeah, so there's a, there's a rescue that I was following on Instagram and you know, that was how I was spending my nights just always scrolling through wishing I could have a dog, but knew, knowing I couldn't. Um, and so this dog came up and they were going to do like a virtual adoption event. So I went to that and met with uh, my family and the, the dog that I wanted to adopt. His name was Buddy at the time. He was only six months. So I knew that there was going to be some work to do. 
Um, but yeah, we got him. His name is Walter White because he's all white. <laughs> and uh, we had just finished watching Breaking Bad this winter, so <laughs> it was pretty fitting. <laughs> I was wondering um, if it's named after Breaking Bad. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it's been a lot of work, but I mean, a lot of work. I wish I could go back and tell myself to be more patient uh, because now things are fine. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been fun. A German Shepherd mix? Yeah, he's supposedly a white Shepherd and a white Husky mix, which is why he's all white. So, because he's definitely not all white German Shepherd. Um, It's just weird. (laughs) That's so fun. Well, I I was seeing your post like in the early days of um, quarantine, and I was like, oh she got a dog and then I was like I'm gonna end up with another pet I can't get another yeah. pet I have to get yeah. a dog already <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that's, I, I, I live vicariously through you <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> yeah like I wouldn't have been able to get a dog like I work with my family so where I work it's just my parents and my brother and I uh so I know that anytime I go travel it's going to be on them so it was kind of a family decision um and it was more the fact that I knew I'd have time to train him that we finally committed to it <laughs> awesome yeah. well well we really appreciate your time today and if people want to find more about all of the things you're doing do you have a central website or your socials what's the best place yeah the, I mean Instagram's easy now you can probably find me if you type in Amanda Nauman um I've got a few underscores in there it's like underscore Amanda Panda I think um but yeah you know Facebook Twitter Instagram all those things you can get to me pretty quickly and if you have any questions yeah just get to me there yeah and we'll have links in um our Instagram post about you and links to uh, all the things that you're doing so really appreciate your time today yeah, this is fun. Thanks, guys. I uh, I really like what you're doing, moving this forward, like especially on the women's front. Um, it's it's pretty awesome. And even just looking at the registration for like Mammoth Tough, for example, it's like 15, 20% women. And it's always that thought of like, how do we move that needle? <laughs> so I appreciate what you guys are doing, having the conversation around it and really pushing the women's side of this. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad that you guys invited me. Oh, thanks for joining us, Amanda. Yeah, no problem. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.